You're watching The Sports Objective, the podcast for pirates. You're watching the Inside Slant on The Sports Objective. Over the next hour, the guys will be joined by play-by-play voices, beat writers, and other analysts from around the nation as they preview this weekend's college football action. Let's hear from you throughout the show via Facebook Live, on our YouTube channel, or on Twitter at the Sports OBJ. Now, here are the guys. All right, welcome into the Inside Slant right here on the Sports Objective with us right now, of course. Our great producer, he does everything. He's the Oz of our TSO network, if you will, and that would be Bubba Rosenbaum. How are you, man? Doing well, Dave. I'm excited to talk some college football, as always. And Last week, we had about 15 games, and um, you know, that was a nice appetizer, if you will. But uh, this week, um, you already have some tremendous games here on a Thursday night. I know we'll talk about those uh, here in just a few minutes. No doubt about it. In fact, we've got a, a few great guests. In fact, uh, first up, I know Georgia's got a big game coming up uh, this weekend and uh, actually on Saturday, right, Bubba? Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, in the top 20 matchup. And when you look at this matchup, obviously what jumps out is the new Oregon head coach was the defensive coordinator for the Dogs a season ago. And right now to preview that matchup, we'd love to welcome in, you know, back from uh, Dogs HQ, Palmer Toms. Palmer, we appreciate your time this evening. Yeah, of course, guys. Had to step away. Halftime of the uh, West Virginia Pitt game, watching former Georgia quarterback JT Daniels light it up a little bit. Uh, always excited to watch those those former guys uh, get their opportunity, you know, seeing him get a chance to uh, make it work there at West Virginia. No doubt about it. The uh, backyard brawl uh, there, a great robbery and uh, Palmer, that's what college football is is all about. Or, you know, you could even have high school football, a lot of great uh, matchups in high school with great robberies, whether it be inner-city robberies or inter-county robberies, uh, a lot of great uh, robberies there at whatever level. But uh, certainly uh, when it comes to West Virginia Pitt, great to see that game back and uh, being a great uh, game to kick off officially, I guess, the college football season on a Thursday night. And and you've got the uh, quarterback rivalry here too with uh, JT Daniels and Keaton Slovis, both uh, former USC quarterbacks. Daniels having started in 2018 and and uh, the and the start of the 2019 season before tearing his ACL. Slovis takes over. Daniels transfers out. Ultimately, they both transfer out, and now they've landed here in uh, Morgantown and, and Pitt. Yeah, pretty interesting on that that note. And you obviously had, you know, the Pitt wide receiver, a Blitnikoff Award candidate uh, going to USC, which uh, that was pretty ironic. But, um, you know, taking taking a look at this matchup, um, you know, I mentioned, you know, one of the reasons, one of the reasons, excuse me, that this is very intriguing. And uh, that is because of, you know, head coach Dan Lanning with the, Oregon Ducks and Oregon, Oregon's um, head coach coming over from the Dogs. So, you know, what what's your take on this matchup between the Ducks and Dogs? Yeah, we've heard from both Kirby Smart um, and Dan Lanning. Obviously, haven't made the trip out to Eugene. Maybe maybe would have liked to have done that with a uh, little a couple family members out there. But um, you know, hey, uh, you know, it, it, interesting to hear from both of them and. 
Um, you know, both of them have kind of had the same message that, uh, you know, Kirby Smart's not going to take any snaps in this game. Dan Lanning's not going to take any snaps in this game. Uh, you know, they're both going to be on opposite sidelines and obviously they'll get a ton of camera time, uh, TV time there and, and attention in the buildup to this game. But ultimately it's the way that they prepare their players to play this game. That'll decide it, not any sort of advantage that, either side has with, with some knowledge, um, you know, Lanning having coached all and recruited majority of this Georgia defense, uh, having gone against the Georgia offense every day, Kirby smart, obviously knowing a little bit about Lanning style, uh, Todd Munkin, Georgia offensive coordinator, having gone against a Lanning defense every day. Um, so certainly going to be interesting. Uh, I think there's a lot of storylines there. Um, but as Lanning said, uh, you know, that's all they are stories. Now, taking a look at um, the Ducks offensively, you know, tell our viewers, you know, what is Coach Lanning planning to do on the offensive side of the ball? Um, because, of course, Georgia is always so stout defensively. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what Oregon does on the offensive side of the football. Um, first, new offensive coordinator there uh, with Kenny Dillingham, who had been at Florida State, had been at Auburn previously, um, and, and it's reuniting him with Oregon's transfer quarterback, Bo Nix, uh, coming from Auburn. So obviously Georgia very familiar with what Nix brings to the table, his mobility. Um, you know, I, I think that Lanning has not named a starting quarterback yet, everyone is expecting it to be Bo Nix. Um, so excited to see what he can do with some different weapons around him. Um, Ducks have a really stout offensive line, um, you know, st strong group up front, veteran group uh, with all five guys having started, you know, 10, 15 games um, at least. Uh, you know, they, they bring back four of their starters from last year, uh, but that fifth starter – uh, that, that they lost uh, and and the one that's going to be replacing him well he was injured last year and, and so he had been a starter so all five of those guys up front have have a starting experience under their belt uh, Georgia certainly uh, facing a strong offensive line uh, you know Knicks will should have time in the pocket uh, you know in unless that is that Georgia's defense can uh, separate you know create some havoc up there. And, um, you know, Nick's working with some new weapons around him, uh, you know, new faces for Oregon fans, new faces for him, obviously, as a transfer, um, you know, a lot of guys to replace at running back, a lot of guys to replace at receiver. And interestingly enough, you've got Oregon's former receiver coach, Brian McClendon, now back at Georgia, his alma mater. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, Palmer, uh, as far as this game, a huge game uh, for both teams and certainly with Georgia, with the national championship. I, I'm just curious. Uh, we know how great the town is with Georgia. We know how big of a game this is. As far as they're having to tell these guys like to kind of like yeah, even kill when it comes to their emotions, because when you can have a new season, uh, the opening season is one thing, but you just want a, a national championship. You've got a ton of talent, great coaching, great facilities, great everything when it comes to the dogs. Um, how are they going to be able to, in other words, not listen to all the hype when we know they're good, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think with that national championship now under their belt, you know, it's it's kind of the the final thing that Kirby Smart had been looking for at Georgia. Had, he had recruited well. He had built up the facilities at Georgia. 
Um, you know, obviously great opportunity to do so well at Georgia. Uh, he had just not capitalized on it quite yet. Um, now he's able to do that, has that ch championship trophy, a little bit of bling bling uh, to, to show off. And he's certainly done that this offseason. I think that, um, you know, Georgia fans, it was 41 years in the making. They wanted to celebrate it. He wanted to, he understands that having been a Georgia player. Uh, having grown up a Georgia fan, a Georgia native, um, you know, he understood where this, how important this was for the state of Georgia. But at the same time, he's been around successful teams before. Uh, he understands how to put that behind him and, uh, you know, turn the page to the next season. You know, he, he talked about that this week, um, you know, that he was asked, you know, has Georgia arrived? You know, what, what will it take for you to say that, you know, Georgia has arrived. And he said, you know, I'll never do that. You know, you, you've never arrived in this day and age of college football because you're always working towards your next one. Uh, you know, he certainly learned that from Nick Saban, uh, saw the way that teams in, in Tuscaloosa, you know, celebrated a championship, but then put it behind them and got right back to work. And, uh, you know, Kirby Smart, you know, wants zero complacency on this team. Uh, you know, he, he said at SEC Media Days, uh, the group that won it, the group that did the you know bulk of the work to to you know bring that title home, they're off in NFL training camps now. They're preparing for season openers in the NFL. Uh, the guys that are going to be playing suiting up for Georgia this season, some of them contributed to that, but maybe they weren't the biggest contributors. Uh, there's certainly a couple of exceptions, uh, but you know I do think that for the most part, this is still a hungry group. It's an inexperienced group. It's a hungry group. Uh, that's ready to try and go become the first team since Alabama 2011-2012 uh, to go back-to-back. -back. Now, Palmer, in addition to uh, Coach Lanning, obviously moving on to Eugene, uh, you had Matt Luke back in March, um, the offensive line coach for the Dogs, uh, resign. So you know, talk about that change, you know, how, how that has uh, gone over with, with some new blood there on the offensive line. Um, and then also um, – just any other staff changes to speak of? Yeah, there were four assistants that left Athens this uh, th this spring. Uh, four new guys that George is going to be working with. Obviously, Lanning was the outside linebackers coach and defensive coordinator. He has been replaced by Chidera Uzo Deribe, um, who has previously been at TCU and SMU. Um, was was at SMU. Was hired at TCU. Uh, as Sonny Dykes made the transition over there just across town. Uh, and, and, you know, he makes the move from that Dallas-Fort Worth area to Athens. Uh, certainly, you know, early reviews have certainly been positive there. Um, you know, again, I mentioned Brian McClendon coming to Athens as the receivers coach. He replaces Cortez Hankton, who's back in his hometown, uh, his, his neck of the woods at LSU. Um, and, and then, you know, one more on each side of the ball. Like you said, Matt Luke. Uh, former Ole Miss head coach, uh, you know, Georgia offensive line coach, uh, had big shoes to fill at Georgia with Sam Pittman. Uh, he did that pretty well, and and he's off um, stepping down, stepping away from football for a little bit, wants to spend some time with his family. Um, so they go out and replace him with Stacey Searles, who had most recently been at North Carolina, uh, but had previously been at Georgia under Mark Richt, um, you know, certainly familiar with the program familiar with the expectations there. And then in on the defensive side of the football, again, um, Jamile Adai, defensive backs coach, uh, you know, had transitioned uh, 
um, away from that role. Uh, you know, he went down to Miami and Georgia brings in a really talented young guy in, in Fran Brown uh, from Rutgers um, had spent a lot of time up there and at Temple uh, up in that Northeast area, he comes down to the Southeast now. And, and, and for as much of a culture shock as it may be, uh, he's certainly uh, gotten accustomed to the expectations and, and, you know, has gotten to work here at Georgia uh, recruiting, um, you know, mentioned that Uzo Deribe takes over the outside linebackers role. Uh, he is not going to take over the defensive coordinator position. That'll be split between inside linebackers coach Glenn Schumann and another defensive backs coach. They're splitting the, the DBs up into uh, safeties and stars and corners. Um, Will Muschamp working with the safeties and stars. He is also going to share that uh, co-defensive coordinator role with Glenn Schumann. Palmer, talk about the quarterback position for uh, for Georgia. Obviously, you have Stetson Bennett returning. You know, I, I think obviously a lot of people do give him credit, but I, I, you know, on one hand, I still don't think he's necessarily at times getting the credit that he deserves. On you know, tremendous on quarterback, and uh, but talk about what Georgia has behind him. Yeah, I mean, I think I'll, first I'll start with Stetson um, because, you know, I think that he's an incredibly talented guy, um, you know, often gets overlooked, like you said, um, you know, because of his history, because of his background. Um, you know, a lot of people look at him and still see him as that 2017 walk on the 2019 uh, kid, you know, the 2018 kid that went to Juco, the 2019 backup to Jake Fromm, uh, 2020. 2020 guy that was overwhelmed a little bit by the situation. Uh, but I think along the way we've seen Stetson grow and my expectation is for him to grow even more um, as he's, you know, now in his in a third year in this offense, surrounded by weapons, um, you know, offensively and, and also just comfortable. I mean, he is uh, comfortable with his role, comfortable in, in how confident the coaches are in him. Uh, but I also think he's comfortable now that he doesn't have to look over his shoulder. He is, quarterback one um he's gotten the reps that that he you know deserves um you know this is the first time that he's gone into a season as qb1 getting those starter reps uh you know that wasn't the case in 2020 or 2021 when he started the bulk of those games um you know was getting backup reps or worse uh in both those seasons so um you know it, it was interesting to hear from him this week he he said you know hey uh you know folks folks you know doubted me last year and uh, you know, I was essentially said, you know, hey, uh, you know, I was able to be Superman when everybody was doubting me. But now you got to wonder, uh, you know, can folks are going to wonder, can you be Superman when everyone believes in you? Uh, when and, and he said, you know, to, to say that there's not any doubters out there. Well, that's probably not true because uh, there certainly still are some. But it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, it's a different kind of doubt that's, that's surrounding Stetson. Um, but behind him, you've got Carson Beck. Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton, three very talented quarterbacks coming out of high school. All three of them, you know, high four stars, five stars, um, you know, kids that, that are incredibly talented and highly recruited. Um, you know, I, the, Stockton being a freshman, he's going to run the scout team for Georgia this year. Um, but you've got a, you certainly have a backup quarterback battle between Brock Vandergriff and Carson Beck. Uh, Beck is a little bit older, has been in the program a one more year than Brock. Uh, so he's got the upper hand as of now, uh, but it's certainly going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the course of this season, because with this being the last year of eligibility for Stetson Bennett, that could really shape Georgia's quarterback battle for next year and who goes into the spring as the starter. 
it's going to be great to see uh, certainly where there's a lot of talent. I know that's one of the things I've always heard Palmer. Um, I, I might be stating the obvious here, but uh, with, with Kirby Smart being one heck of a recruiter. In fact, a lot of people say that's why the success of Nick Saban for so long was, was assistant to Alabama because Kirby was one of the great recruiters on the staff. And I, I think that uh, what's great is there's so many, I have uh, close friends that are Georgia fans. My dad graduated from uh, vet school in Georgia in 1972. Um, but there's a lot of people, we know how strong it is in Athens and how, Many people want to win so badly for so many years. There'd be some close calls where you think this is the year and uh, was really happy for Georgia this past season to finally get the national championship and not have to just talk about Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker, Herschel <laughs> Walker. And there's nothing wrong with Herschel Walker. I'm just saying that you would think that as good of a program, the proud tradition um, in Athens, there would be more championships. And I, I think there's more to come with uh, Kirby. Sorry if there's anybody else out there, Alabama fans or, anybody else but i think he's uh i think you have to put them as the odds on favorite to win the all win it all again it's going to be very difficult i know ohio state's in there alabama's in the mix but uh and don't forget about clemson i think there's a lot of people that are writing clemson off i think clemson's very very good and uh i think our what our co-host uh, kyle barber said last week but it's like when you have uh, a team like uh, clemson and they win 10 games we'll take that we'll take that so, uh, what Bubba in our history, we've only had at East Carolina, what, twice with 10 wins? Is that right? The Peach Bowl year and then uh, 2013? Yeah. But um, kind of looking at the big picture for this team, kind of the road the day was going down. Uh, as you look at Georgia's schedule, I think it, it sets up very well. Uh, you do have the road trip in November, um, you know, when, the, when Georgia has to go to Lexington to a a very talented Kentucky team. We'll see how Kentucky fares this year. Um, obviously, Coach Stoops has just done a tremendous job there at a school that has historically struggled. And, uh, you know, he, he's certainly going to have a statue built of him one day in Lexington. But, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on the schedule as a whole? And like Dave said, the chances of Georgia repeating. Yeah, um, you know, going back to what Dave was saying about, you know, how it's been so long and, and the talk of Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker, Herschel Walker, um, you know, I, I saw a fan created hype video today that, you know, said, you know, hey, uh, it's been a it's been a great 41 years since uh, the national championship. And, you know, here's to hoping the, the next 41 is just as good because, uh, you know, while while they didn't win one in that time, um, you know, up until this past season, there certainly were a real, lot of really good Georgia football teams. Um, and, and I think that looking at this year's team, the way that it sets up, like you said, they are, uh, you know, one of the top teams in the country, um, you know, rated, ranked number three in both the AP and coaches poll behind Alabama and Ohio State, respectively. Um, you know, I, I think it really sets up for uh, a lot of success this season. Um, if you can um, – you know, uh, avoid slipping up. Uh, Georgia will probably be favored by double digits in every game. Um, you know, uh, even even some of those tough games in, in November, um, you know, there's a stretch. You know, obviously you've got Oregon out of the gate, top, you know, top 15 matchup, number 11 team in the country. Uh, but the Bulldogs are a 17, 17 and a half point favorite in that game. Uh, South Carolina on the road, week three could be tough. Uh, you know, again, 
similar to what Oregon brings to the table with an experienced quarterback, a transfer, a talent, a talented quarterback. Uh, South Carolina has that in Spencer, Rat- in Spencer Rattler there. Um, so, you know, that could be tough. Um, you know, I think that that's an early kickoff noon kickoff there. Um, you know, it's going to be hot in Columbia. Uh, you've got an inexperienced Georgia defense. Maybe they struggle some to get in sync early in the season. Um, but I think once they get into gear, um, you know, and really once you get past week three, uh, you don't really have a huge test until, um, you know, October, November, um, because as you look at this schedule, Missouri on the road could be tough, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I don't think it's terribly challenging. Auburn, you get Auburn at home and, and you know, obviously we all know that they've got some quarterback problems. Um, you know, it's interesting to see how they, you know, will play out, especially early in the season with LSU and Penn State coming to um, coming to the Plains. Uh, and, and then, you know, as, as you get past that, you've got Vanderbilt a, a bye week and then it's a really tough stretch there of, of four games, uh, you know, Florida at a neutral site home against Tennessee, a Tennessee team that's putting up a lot of points right now as we speak, um, you know, and one that's going to bring an offense that could challenge an inexperienced Georgia defense. I think they're going to challenge good defenses. Uh, and I think Georgia will have a good one. Uh, someone that could be challenged by Tennessee in that tempo. Uh, and then you go on the road for back-to-back tough games at Mississippi State. Again, an offense that, that presents some tricks. Uh, and then Kentucky in Lexington, a game that could you know potentially decide the SEC East. Um, so, you know, th- think that there's a lot of, uh, you know, r- wrapping up the season at the end with Georgia Tech. I have predicted Georgia to go 12-0, and to go – uh, you know, into Atlanta for an ICC championship matchup between an undefeated Georgia and an undefeated Alabama uh, would be a clash of two incredibly good teams uh, and and probably two teams that would make the playoff regardless of the outcome there. Uh, but certainly, you know, a lot of football to be played before then. Final thing we have for you tonight, kind of a big picture topic, uh, obviously with all the success and all the money coming into that program, uh, you know, in the recent seasons and, you know, just you know, such a huge, passionate fan base and so forth. I know um, there's been some stadium renovations or at least plans for renovations going on there at Sanford Stadium. So tell our viewers about that, uh, you know, making the stadium, you know, more accessible and so forth. Yeah. So they announced that this spring uh, back in May and those, those plans were officially approved here uh, not too long ago, but they are going to do a little bit of renovation to Sanford stadium uh, in after this coming football season, the 2022 season uh, and, and getting it ready for the 23 season, they're going to add a couple of gates, you know, make the uh, bridge that is so, you know, such a big part of the stadium uh, and the environment there, um, you know, with with the bridge running out by an open end of the stadium, that is now going to be a part of the stadium. They're going to have vending. They're going to have, uh, you know, air concessions out there. Um, you know, you're going to be able to walk in, go in through a gate that puts you out onto what is normally a road, uh, but will be part of the stadium on game day. So that'll happen before this 20, before the next football season 2023 and then after 2023 before 2024 they are also going to renovate um the south end of the stadium uh you know making concourses bigger more accessible 
Uh, they're going to make the stadium a little bit taller, uh, go straight up with it there, um, as opposed to, you know, a, a you know, outward uh, expansion. They're going to go up and, and, you know, create some more luxury seating. They're going to move the press box, unfortunately. Love my seat right on the 50-yard line there in an open-air press box. Uh, they're going to move us down into the corner a little bit. Not terrible, uh, but certainly not what I would have wanted. Uh, but it makes sense for uh, makes sense for Georgia, and and ultimately creates a really good uh, a really good fan experience in what is already a really great one. Really appreciate the visit tonight. As Thank always, you, Paul, you know, tell our viewers how they can check your work out at Dogs HQ. Yeah, Dogs HQ uh, over in the On3 network of sites, um, you know, adding a ton of talent by the day. Um, you know, we've got a special going on right now. You can sign up to view all of our plus content uh, behind a paywall for $1 for a full year. Um, not sure how long that special is going to go on. So if, if you're thinking about it, I would jump on it. Um, but certainly a great place to get your recruiting coverage, your team coverage, inside scoop, uh, you know, and, and be a part of a great community there over on our message boards, Dogs HQ. And then you can find me on social media at Palmer Toms. All right, Palmer, thank you so much. And good luck to the dogs this year. And we'll see if they can get another championship in that trophy case. And uh, we'll talk to you very good soon. And by the way, happy Labor Day early to you. Thank you, guys. Y'all have a good one. All right, see you later. Now we'll welcome in uh, from Al's Daily, Ryan Wallen. Ryan, we appreciate you coming on on such short notice. And we, we had planned to have former Florida great Shane Matthews on uh, to talk about that game with the Utah Utes and the beginning of the Billy Napier era um, and, you know, everything going on down at the Swamp. But uh, appreciate you coming on on such short notice. Um, I know we just had you on. <laughs> no problem, guys. It's always a pleasure like, uh, just getting ready to – Get the car packed for Duke tomorrow. Hey, Bubba, I think we what we should do is we make Ryan wait so long in the green room. Should we change the name to the Ryan Wallen room? <laughs> we'll just dedicate the green room to Ryan. I mean, he spent yeah. more time in the green room than any other guest, I think, in the history of our show uh, going on five years. I, I uh, apologize over that, Ryan. We're trying really hard to to do better. No, Totally fine. I, I I blame Dairy Queen. As long as you can supply the sup dog wings, I'll 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 be happy to sit in the green room as long as I uh, as long as you need me to. All right, sounds good. Uh, big matchup, obviously. Uh, it's crazy, crazy, crazy um, to think college football is here, but it is here. Uh, Temple traveling down to Durham uh, with a big. Uh, th this is going to be interesting for Duke fans uh, too, um, because. Welcoming a new era with Mike Elko as the coach, not David Cutcliffe. David Cutcliffe has uh, certainly uh, moved on to the SEC now. I think he's a special assistant to the commissioner, I believe, uh, to Greg Sankey. But uh, now you have a new era in Durham, and uh, who knows, with uh, Temple, they can go. I uh, know we've talked a little bit about it, but a big matchup on Saturday, and maybe uh, Temple can turn things around this year. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. It, it's been it's been a, a thing that you know it, it's hard to judge what we're actually going to see out of both teams tomorrow night. You know, we we kind of get a feel at Temple of what we possibly are going to see, but it's hard to kind of see what Duke's going to do because they they obviously are bringing in a whole new coaching staff as well. 
Temple has some familiarity with uh, the two coordinators that Mike Elko did hire at Duke and uh, Kevin Johns, who was the former Memphis offensive coordinator and Rob Smith, who they had played last year when he was at Rutgers. So they did see both of these guys last year. So they probably have some idea of, of what they're going to see on the field, but you never know, you know, whole new system. Mike Elko is a defensive guy himself, ran that four, two, five down at Texas A&M, which, you know, had, had, a lot of success down there for the Aggies. So you don't know how much of an influence he's going to have in the defense with Rob Smith combining their little, their brains together to, you know, put something on the field that hopefully is going to get Duke turned around. Um, but, you know, and, and Mike Elko has even said that this week in his press conferences for Duke that I've listened to that, you know, he, he doesn't know really what's going to be on the field. And Sam Drayton said the same thing on Monday that it's, it's going to be hard to judge what you're actually going to see. But, you know, Temple's focused on Temple right now. He said he has preached that. Um, not so much worried about the opponent. They're going to show up. They're going to play the game. they got to make sure that they don't make the mistakes that are going to cost this, this game uh, against Duke. No doubt about it. In fact, uh, Ryan, just curious as far as this week, game week for Temple, uh, anything, any injuries, God forbid, or anything that's uh, of note that our, our viewers would like to know about heading into the weekend? Yeah, so the only name that we had gotten on Monday was that uh, tight end, David Martin Robinson, who is okay. one of the older guys and, and probably one of the best athletes on Temple's team, is dealing with some sort of injury right now. He's going to be a, a game day decision tomorrow, so I guess we'll see tomorrow during pregame warm-ups if he's going through those. Um, not sure what he's specifically dealing with. Didn't see anything visible on him when we were at practice last uh, last week, but he was not going through full warm-ups and all. He was sitting on the bike on the side. So um, he, he he's a guy that unfortunately suffered a, a devastating injury last year at the beginning of the year in the Rutgers game, caused him to miss most of the season, came back a little early. He even admitted um, at the end of the season and, and might have not have been as healthy as what he had liked. Um, and, and unfortunately seems something is lingering over into his now uh, senior year here at Temple. So I guess we'll have to see if, if he ends up playing tomorrow. Um, there were a, 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 was a mention by Drayton that there are a few other guys that could be game day decisions tomorrow, but no specific names there yet. Um, looking at our depth chart uh, for this week, we can kind of maybe guess on two of those guys, but I'm not going to name drop any of those just just for the fact that I I don't feel like being wrong. <laughs> oh, I'm used to being wrong, Ryan. It's uh, you, uh, Misery Loves Company. Come on aboard. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but certainly I know with Temple and Duke both, uh, with Coach Drayton and now you have uh, Mike Elko, that's going to be really interesting. And then I think uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I, I think with, uh, with Duke especially, um, Duke has really gone downhill uh, the last few years. I think, I think COVID really hurt Duke uh, more than a lot of teams uh, with the program. And maybe some people could argue that it was the end of an era with Cl Cutcliffe, but uh, Coach Cut was tremendous for that program. Uh, it'll be great to see. And then with Temple, you guys have had so many great coaches over the years. It'll be interesting um, to see how that turns out. But um, we talked to you a little bit, but how are the fans uh, with Temple? Are they, do you think they're going to be patient with, uh, with a new coach? I think they're going to because I think they they saw just how bad the program was um, the past two seasons and particularly last year, how non-competitive the team had had gotten in games, especially those last seven games of the season. 
So I, I think they know that there's a rebuild in place. It's going to take a year or two to get this thing straightened out. But, you know, Temple fans, they, they're Philly fans, and Philly fans can tend to be un, impatient at times. But I think this is a little bit of a different situation. There's not a lot of high expectations for Temple this year. I, I have not seen anybody predict them more than 500 this year at best, and and that's something that, you know, I don't see them getting to in, in Drayton's first year. If they do, you know, that that would be a miracle in itself, and Drayton might be getting some, some uh, high-quality offers if, if uh, he would happen to then go over 500 next year, and he might be another, you know, Jeff Collins where he could bail on Temple after two years, depending on if the – if the money in the situation is right, but I don't see that being the case. I think this is more of a, a slow rebuild. I think Drayton sees that as a, this as a rebuild. He he mentioned in his press conference last week that, you know, not all the problems are going to get fixed right away and, and fans can't expect that. But as long as they see that the goals are in place and there's progress and they're working towards those goals that they're going to, they are determined that they're going to turn this around and, you know, restore Temple to the, to this team that it was, you know, under Matt rule and Jeff Collins. I had a quick question, Bob. I'm sorry. And I'll, I'll let you, I'm sorry. I had a quick follow-up uh, as far as uh, Jeff Collins. One thing I've been dying to ask you, and I just realized I've never asked you, Ryan, uh, did, did Jeff Collins not recruit well? Is there, uh, is it with, I know he was there so quick and he left. Uh, maybe I'm being too harsh on him. I know he did well there, but, you know, Matt Rule was like, wow, you know, he's got uh, Temple tough. Uh, then you have Collins. He just seems quickly to go to Georgia Tech. Um, is that is that fair to say he didn't recruit well? Or what happened there that all of a sudden Temple went from this juggernaut that, you know, like you're scared to play Temple to now like East Carolina, we feel like we have a chance against Temple? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say it was. He was a flashy guy. You know, he 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 was very much about the the perform like the showmanship. He was a very good showman and he sold the program very well. One of the best promoters and I thought that was, you know, the real peak of Temple in terms of marketing itself was when Collins was the head coach. And and I think he brought in guys simply based on the showmanship more so than you know, maybe being a full full-on evaluator of talent and looking for more of the diamonds in the rough. Um, that Matt Rule had done. Um, not to say that there weren't good players that Collins brought in, but a lot of the guys that he did bring in ended up transferring out or they made it one year on the team and then they left the program. And it, it kind of did put Temple in a bad spot before Rod Carey eventually took over. And, and then you can say, you know, that maybe Rod didn't do a great job at recruiting, though, either in certain areas. But, I mean, there there's some guys on this team that are legitimate NFL talent that, you know, Rod brought in as well. So, you know, you can't say that really it was necessarily all recruiting. But, you know, I, I would say maybe with Jeff, it was just more so they didn't fully evaluate the types of players they were bringing in rather than, you know, just maybe looking for the the stars, chasing stars instead of uh, diamonds in the rough. Yeah, back to what you were saying, Ryan, as far as uh, Temple having its work cut out to win six games and become bowl eligible. You know, if this, I mean, this game on tomorrow is absolutely huge because if you do find a way to win it, then a three and one September is very possible because you have you have Lafayette and then Rutgers and. Um, and then also UMass. 
what that's three consecutive home games. Yes. And and, and then, but like you mentioned, and once league play rolls around in October, you have three out of four on the road um, trips to Memphis, UCF, and Navy. And then in November, you have a game at Houston, and then Cincinnati and East Carolina come to uh, Lincoln Financial. Yeah, you know, I I think the key for Temple's success this season is going to be they're going to have to get off to a quick start. And, you know, two and two is going to be good to get off to that start because, I mean, you should pick up those wins over UMass and Lafayette. I mean, that's that's expected wins. And if, if they drop those games, there's there's going to be some serious head scratching. And I think that's when your fans will start maybe questioning the the Drayton regime if if there is some issues in those games and beating uh, those two opponents. But, you know, then you look back to Matt Rule in 2013, his team lost to Fordham and Idaho in that season. So, I, you know, sometimes you just got to also give it some time um, in developing, as Drayton has mentioned, and, and as I feel that this is going to take. But I, I, I think Temple is too talented to not be able to beat those teams um, this season. Uh, but like you said, if, if somehow Temple pulls out the win tomorrow night, I, I think three and one is very possible. And then once conference play rolls around, your first half of the conference schedule is a lot easier than your second half. So I think if you can somehow find a way to beat Tulsa, beat USF, beat Navy, I mean, you're looking at five wins and five wins is it's definitely a win in the, in my book for this season, or even possibly six, and then you're sitting at 500. Um, but who knows, even if you pick up some of those wins, that could, that could really instill some confidence in this team. And, you know, maybe they play above expectations this year and, and really make some noise and, you know, set themselves up for a good position for next year. Now back to this game with the Blue Devils tomorrow night. I know, you, I mean, there's obviously so many unknowns for both of these clubs, but, you know, if you had to, you know, point to two or three things, and you know, outside of the obvious as far, you know, as far as taking care of the football, et cetera, et cetera, um, you know, what what are you know, two or three keys that uh, that you really see in order for the Owls to be victorious in Durham? Well, I, I think first off is that you need to – we need to see how Temple's offensive line is going to play this year because last year it was absolutely abysmal how the offensive line played. And that was, you know, one of the one of the main reasons that Temple really struggled last year is the offensive line was not getting pushed. They were getting, you know, beat off the line badly by defensive linemen. They couldn't open holes for the running backs, uh, and the running game struggled mightily because of it. So um, this year, obviously, they they're returning two uh, veteran starters, four year starters at tackle um, in Isaac Moore and Adam Klein. Uh, both those guys are single-digit guys um, named by Drayton two weeks ago. So, you know, you have that edge secure. Um, where I worry is the interior D-line or O-line is, and they're going to have three new full-time starters there. And uh, Wisdom Korshi at center, center, who did play a little bit last year at that position, uh, played fairly well. But, you know, can he keep that up? Can he get the snaps off um, without, you know, muffing a or – having a bad exchange with uh, DeJuan Mathis. Um, and then you have two new guards and one in a Houston transfer, James Famineau, um, who who looks like he's he's a legit dude. Uh, he's, you wouldn't think that he's only played one year or one game of football in his career at Houston. And, and he came in and obviously won a starting job for Temple. And then you have a guy in Jermaine Donaldson who has rarely seen the field for Temple, if at all. 
Um, but he he won the starting guard spot opposite Famineau, and and he's a guy that was initially recruited by offensive line coach Chris Wiesahan in 2018 um, before Wiesahan left, kind of sat on the bench under Rod Carey's regime. But now, I guess with Wiesahan back, he really you know took off and, and had a change of heart, change of attitude, uh, added some weight, and, and obviously performed well enough throughout fall camp to win that other guard spot. So that's going to be something interesting to see, especially going up against Duke's uh, defensive line, which seems to be a little depleted. Uh, I noticed on their depth chart, they have a walk-on listed as their second string defensive tackle. So that seems like they're thin there, especially in the interior. So seems like both teams might have some struggles on the interior of their lines. Um, that That's my main matchup uh, to watch. Um, as far as other things, I think, you know, just seeing how Dwan Mathis performs. Did he grow? How How is he going to handle the pressure of, you know, this now being his second season um, starting for Temple? third year, third new system that he's learning, obviously having played at Georgia in 2020. Uh, so now now under Danny Langsdorf, how has he adopted that offense? And again, can the offensive line protect him? And, and you know, he's not going to be he's not going to be running for his life or, you know, he's going to have some time back there to throw it up to some of these receivers that he has. And he has some talented receivers, uh, especially Adonicus Sanders, who's a Georgia Tech transfer, who Coincidentally enough, caught the game-winning touchdown against Duke last year in uh, Georgia Tech's win against them with under a minute to play. So I know Sanders is looking forward to that game. He said he likes playing Georgia Tech or uh, he likes playing against Duke. So that'll be interesting to see. And um, I'm interested to see the cornerbacks, um, how they match up against Duke's wide receivers, because Duke has some talented wide receivers, too, especially Jalen Calhoun. Um, Temple's, you know, they're they're starting two brand new corners. Uh, a guy who was a red shirt or a true freshman last year, red shirted in Jalen McMurray, who has come in and, and earned a single digit, and he has the chance to only be the second player ever to wear a single digit for four years for Temple. Um, kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, possibly could be one of those diamonds in the rough that Carey recruited. So, um, want to see how he matches up against Calhoun. I assume he's going to be on him most of the game. Um, and then the other corner position is won by a guy who was sitting behind Keyshawn Paul and Cameron Ruiz last year and Elijah Clark. Um, I think that's just going to be a defensive scheme thing that Temple's looking for taller corners to play on the outside. And they're going to leave their smaller guys to the inside in the slot. Um, but I, I just want to see how they're going to you know, handle the pressure of being two new corners in the system in, in this defense that Temple's going to run. And uh, we'll see how that's going to go. But um, I think, like I said, Temple's going to have to get off to a fast start. Um, last year, they struggled mightily in the first quarter. They only scored one first quarter touchdown all season. Uh, that was a big struggle, and especially when you're playing from behind, it's hard to hard to you know get that motivation to get back in the game. So I, they need to start fast, establish the run, and I'm intrigued, especially to see the, how that offensive line performs. And one final non-Temple question I had for you. How, it's Thursday when we're uh, doing the show live, and, of course, it'll be archived when, when the show's done. But uh, how are you feeling about the backyard brawl with West Virginia Pitt? I know you're a Temple guy, but uh, things up there to people, uh, how much do they care outside of West Virginia and Pitt about that game? In my area, not so much. In my area, it's mostly Penn State people. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I would suspect most Pennsylvanians tonight are tuned into the Penn State-Purdue game. Yeah. But I personally have always liked the backyard brawl. I mean, you know, that's just such a classic game, uh, you know, the rivalry there. And it's good to be have that game back after 11 years of being 
not played obviously with having West Virginia move to the Big 12 and and whatnot in that meet in that time. So it, it's good to have that back. I'm I'm excited. And I noticed something when they brought that game on the air that they talked about. You know, there's something to geogra- ge- geography and geographic rivalries in college football. And you know that's uh, kind of ironic based on you know all the landscape changes in college football that's going on. But you know that that saying in particular was right that you know I think there is something to geography and geographic record or rivalries because you know those are the games that draw people. Those are the ones that you get hyped up about. You know you have big tailgates for you have a lot of people show out for and just creates a different environment in the stadium. So. Would like to see Temple have a little bit more of them, but you know they'll have they'll have their game in in a couple of weeks when Rutgers comes to town, and I know that's that's the big rivalry for Temple right now. So hopefully Temple can uh, can knock them off on the field and get some payback a little bit from last year. Speaking of rivalries, uh, NC State ECU, do you have a pick in that game? We're getting ready to do our picks, so I'm gonna put you on the spot on our show. You, you like NC State? I take it. I, I'm not sure because, you know, everybody's hyping up NC State so much. And, you know, they, they obviously have a wonderful quarterback in Devin Leary. And, you know, he, he's going to play in the NFL next year. But, you know, ECU's got a lot of talent, too. And I, I saw that last year that they really looked like they were turning the corner. And I think they're going to surprise some people this year and, and make some noise. So I've never been – huge on NC State. I feel like every year they're hyped up and they never end up performing up to standards, even though they end up, you know, sitting maybe at eight wins every year. Um, I know a lot of people pick them as the favorite in the ACC, but I don't know if they're that good yet. Um, sure. For the fans of Pirate Nation, I'll pick ECU. Because <laughs> that would be such a major win. There, there we go. Sentimental pick. I, I love it. I love Fulton Aylers. I love the offense that you guys have. Obviously, the defense has picked it up. I'll say ECU wins, but I wouldn't I be figured, surprised to see that go either way. I figured it out, Bubba. He's tired of waiting in the waiting room and the green room. Uh, he's like, man, the food is not good enough in the green room, and you're making me wait all this time. So he's like, yeah, I'll pick ECU. So next time, we'll make sure you don't have to wait so long in the green room, which we, by the way, if you're just joining us, we renamed it the Ryan Wallen room um, after him because he's waited longer than anybody else. Uh, you you hold that record on the sports objective, my friend. Hey, I'll take any record I can get, right? <laughs> uh, no doubt. Good luck to you. Be safe uh, going to Durham. Uh, big uh, game, and I can't wait to – that's going to be interesting. That's one of the games I'm curious about to see with uh, as uh, Bubba and I were talking about off-air and new eras. Uh, so to speak, we'll see how that goes. And I uh, want to wish you a happy Labor Day. Before we let you go, we're going to give you a chance to plug Owls Daily and social media, and we'll get out of here. Of course. Thank you guys for having me on. As always, you can always follow me on Twitter at RyanWallen247, or you can find all our stuff on the 247 Sports Network at OwlsDaily.com. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much for pinch-hitting uh, there for Shane Matthews, and we'll see you again real soon. No problem. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, brother. All right. The inside slant, you'll see great guys like Ryan Wallen and uh, Shane Matthews had to reschedule, but he'll be back with uh, about the Florida Gators. And I tell you what, uh, Bubba, I'm so excited. We're going to talk about a few games, and I know you picked the game, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, by the way, I want to give a shout out to our good friends at Porky's Backyard Barbecue as they're doing our tailgate on Saturday, and they're sponsoring our tailgate. They're going to have a lot of great food out there with us. Uh, find us on the tailgate lots right close to the practice field. 
And you'll see, actually, we have a blue tent. We need to get an ECU tent, but that's a whole other show, as they say. Bubba, are you ready to uh, talk about the games really quick? And uh, we'll do like a rapid fire in our picks and get out of here. Well, we have another interview with Adam Witten. I'm sorry. Yeah, no problem. But that that interview with Adam Witten, the play-by-play voice of App State Mountaineers, about the big in-state matchup with North Carolina traveling to Boone for the initial time this weekend, which is also a noon kick, and that one is on ESPNU. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that conversation was actually had Wednesday afternoon and uh, right around a half an hour with Adam Witten of App State, and we'll go to that here in just the next five to ten minutes. But, uh, you know, yeah, we'll go ahead and dive into some of our picks. So, you know, we'll start off with that very game, uh, App State uh, hosting North Carolina, Tar Heels obviously victorious um, in a big way, but uh, – they did have their struggles at times against FAMU last weekend in that 56-24 win. Um, the Tar Heels is basically a pick them, uh, UNC minus one. Um, so um, I'll go um, I'll go with App State. Hello? I think Dave's having some technical issues. Yeah, I'm back. Yeah. Okay, he had frozen up on me for a second there. But, uh, you know, Dave, who, who do you take in that North Carolina App State game? I took the Mountaineers, if you couldn't hear me. Yeah, I couldn't, unfortunately. Um, yeah, you know, I'm leaning uh, – I'll go with App. I'm leaning with App. I just – i tell you what I thought. Um, UNC struggled. You guys, we were talking in the uh, the group text that we have uh, for the show about the, – they struggled on defense, what I saw of the game. And um, – and, what was it, like 20 players that uh, that FAMU didn't have? I mean, <laughs> it was like, wow. Um, and it's in Boone. They have one of the best. The Rock is one of the best places to see a game. Oh, my goodness. I, I just have to say that App wins a close one. UNC has a lot of talent, but uh, uh, Gene Chizik, man, I don't know. I'm just not confident about the defense. Maybe they'll rise to a big occasion, but we've seen App State win a lot of football games, and I don't think they care that it's the Tar Heels and Chapel Hill. No disrespect to Mac Brown or the Tar Heels, um, but that fan base and that that program is rocking right now at App State, and uh, we don't need to waste any more time. Everybody yeah. knows about them. We'll go to the next game. Yeah, um, one other comment about that one very quickly, and that is that just that you, know, you talk about Gene Chizik coming back to uh, resurrect that Tar Heel defense that struggles so much. A season ago, and uh, you have Chase Bryce, an experienced quarterback that had an excellent 2021 um, in leading App State to 10 victories. So I, I think, um, you know, with the way they can run the football, um, we'll see how they're able to run it against North Carolina. But, you know, they're really committed to the run. They do have a new offensive coordinator. But um, I, mean, I think we'll see another tremendous game. You remember last time these two met in 2019. App one on a blocked field goal uh, there in the or on the final play of the game, so should be a tremendous football game no matter which way it goes. Um, moving on, the game two um, that we'll pick is Cincinnati uh, traveling to Fayetteville, Arkansas to take on the Razorbacks. Uh, the Hogs a seven point favorite in this one. Yeah, you know, uh, I know that everybody is. Uh, picking the hogs and they're doing the hogs and uh, Arkansas. I tell you what, and I can't believe people are going to say this, but 
I just have a weird feeling, Bubba. I, I'm going Cincinnati. I don't know why. Uh, maybe I'm crazy, but uh, I'm, I'm going against uh, I'm going against what the experts say. I'm gonna go with Cincinnati on this one. So I might be 0-2 with my picks, but uh, so far we'll see how that turns out. But I'm going with Cincinnati. Give me uh, Sam Pittman's crew. Uh, I, I love the job he's done there at Arkansas. I'll take Sam Pittman and the Razorbacks to cover that seven points. Um, Dana Holgerson, um, Dana Holgerson and the Houston Cougars had a tremendous 12-win season, I think it was a season ago, 12-2, and two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and Houston is a four-and-a-half point favorite at future AAC member um, after their – uh, after they will have moved on to the Big 12, and uh, that is UTSA, uh, the Roadrunners. Uh, the Roadrunners, uh, it'll be interesting to see what type of crowd they have for that in-state matchup against the Cougars. Uh, I will take Houston to cover the four and a half. All right, so I'm going, uh, you said Houston? Yeah, I, I'll take the Cougars to cover yeah. the four and a half. I, I, I definitely think it will be a competitive game. I uh, UTSA is a, a solid team and program, but uh, I, I do think that Houston will probably win that one by, I'd say, 10 to 14 points or something at least. Yeah, you know, uh, I know Kyle uh, picked uh, UTSA. He's called the upset special, and I have a lot of respect for UTSA, the Roadrunners, but I'm going with, uh, I have to admit, I'll go with Houston on this, the Cougs. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me that, I mean, Sure, Kyle. He he has legitimate reasons to uh, yeah. to take UTSA for sure, but I'm just laughing at it because you know he's really been uh, you know outspoken lately about Dana Holgerson and yeah. uh, the, the Houston Cougars and how, how much he loves uh, the the skullet that <laughs> Holgerson sports. I, mean, I, 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 believe, I believe it was uh, I mean, a shout out to Johnny Gardner there. I believe it was Johnny that. Uh, that coined that one with the, the skullet, but uh, Johnny up. Our, our next game that we'll we'll take a stab at, and that is uh, JMU, uh, the Dukes, on their first game as an FBS team. Uh, they're five and a half point favorites at home against the Blue Raiders in Middle Tennessee. I'll take JMU to to cover. Yeah, I'm in this. Uh, we're gonna keep it. Uh, we'll keep it as uh, short as we can on these. I'm gonna go JMU. I agree with you. What a great program they have there, Signetti and company there in Harrisonburg. Uh, our next game uh, is BYU traveling to Tampa to take on uh, Coach Scott and his USF Bulls. Um, BYU is an 11-point favorite. Uh, give me – I do think USF will be improved, but I, I think BYU and uh, the Kalani Satakis club will cover the 11 points. Yeah, uh, Bubba, that's the, one of the games, as you know, on the schedule for East Carolina. I'm not saying we have an easy schedule, uh, but BYU is really good. Having said that, I think they're going to win the game. And you're right, USF, I think, is going to be um, – they're not quite there, but I think they're the most improved team. They will be the most improved team um, in the American this year. Uh, not saying they're going to be like top dog or anything like that, but – uh, that would be a hot take, <laughs> but I'm not going out of limb that much. But I do think that they're uh, definitely a much better team uh, with Coach Scott for sure. And uh, so, but I will go with BYU all day long, as I think um, they're going to make some significant noise in the college football landscape this year. 
uh, game six, um, taking a look at uh, – we'll, we'll go ahead and pick that Georgia-Oregon game. Uh, that is a game I, I know uh, Matt Semenza and, J- and Jay Sunhalter on Sonny and Semenza last night. Uh, they certainly were in agreement that Georgia would cover the 17-and-a-half, and I agree um, that I think the, the dogs will – you know, cover that 17 points against Oregon as they travel east. No doubt. I, I Like I said, Kirby Smart's done a heck of a job, and I know they won the national championship. It's very difficult, but I think Georgia is way – you may argue about their defense, Bubba, not as good, but my gosh, uh, they're still going to be uh, really good, uh, even if they're not as good as that unbelievable – one of the best defenses of all time. Uh, but I'm going Georgia over Oregon. Our seventh game that that we'll pick, um, uh, you have Louisville going to the Carrier Dome. Um, Scott Satterfield's club is a four and a half point favorite over the Orange. Um, give me, give me. Uh, yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, Syracuse, they've been so Jekyll and Hyde, you know, uh, under coach Dino Babers, but. Uh, I think I'll go with Louisville to cover uh, that, that four and a half. I, it seems like Louisville blew them out a season ago uh, there in Louisville. Yeah, you're right. Uh, man, um, I haven't thought about that game. I knew that game was coming up. Yeah, I'll go with you on that. I'll go Louisville to cover, but, man, that's going to be a lot closer than what you would expect in years past. Uh, then you have – you have uh, TCU traveling to Boulder. Uh, they're playing Colorado and at Folsom Field, and, and TCU is a two-touchdown favorite as they begin the uh, Sunny Dykes era. So who, who do you like in that one between the Horned Frogs and the Buffs? <clears throat> so TCU or Colorado? Correct. I'm going to go TCU. How do you feel? Oh, that's a, that's a tough one. I will yeah, I don't know. I'm just there has been a lot of hype. It's just you know some they do have a lot returning, and uh, Colorado really struggled to, to score a season ago. So I will uh, I'll take TCU. I don't think it'll be totally lopsided. Um, right, first game on the road like that, but uh, I I do think they'll cover the fourteen. Uh, I could see if Colorado's offense is anything like it was a, a season ago. You know, I could see like a I don't know, a 37 to 20, uh, 34, 17, something like that. It'll be uh, interesting to see how that goes. Uh, for sure, what's the next game, Bubba? A couple more. Um, we'll take a stab. You have number seven, Utah, um, traveling to the Swamp. Uh, they're a three-point favorite over Billy Napier and the Gators in uh, Billy Napier's uh, debut there at U of F. Yeah. Okay. So this is a tough one. I've been debating this one back and forth. I haven't talked to you about this game, Bubba. Oh gosh. Um, I like Napier a lot. I I like Anthony. That quarterback is one of my favorite quarterbacks. Um, by the way, Bubba, we hadn't talked about him because your quarterback, Anthony Richardson. Um, I like him a lot. He's very athletic. Um, man, I just, I don't know. I want to pick Florida really bad, and hopefully Chrissy Semenza won't get mad at me. I'm going with the Utes, and I hate to admit that, but I'm going with the Utes, Bubba. 
yeah, I don't think I don't think Chrissy's going to allow Matt to come back on the show anymore. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I I think Billy Napier will, will do a solid job there in Gainesville, but uh, I do like Utah to uh, to cover that minus three. And I was looking over the, the remaining slate of games, um, trying to find one that you know that had a better, you know, a little bit closer line. Let's see. Uh, Let's go with this one. You have Boise State traveling to Corvallis to take on the Beavers. Um, Oregon State, a three-point favorite over the Broncos. Wow. Wow. You would do that to me. <laughs> that's 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 why you did that. It's good. Okay, so Oregon State or – all right, I'm going with Oregon State. Uh, that, that's my pick. I like Oregon State as well. You know, you know, Boise. Boise is not Boise anymore. They were good a season ago, um, but uh, Oregon State, you know, they've had a bit of a resurgence, and uh, I think at home that they will uh, find a way to win that game against Boise. So uh, yeah, we'll see no. how we do on uh, picking those 10 games, and you know we'll get Matt. and uh, Matt's picked a few of those already um, with, with he and Jay. And uh, – We'll see what Kyle thinks about a lot of those games. And I know you said he picked UTSA to upset Houston, uh, taking yeah. the road Roadrunners plus four and a half. But uh, we'll we'll have those records for you next week. And uh, you know, just really excited. Um, you know, we have a lot of tremendous programming headed our viewers and listeners' way. You know, here in the next coming uh, coming few days. Yeah, the Pirate Breakdown with uh, Sutton Young. Want to give him a shout-out. How about uh, Sonny and Semenza? Of course, this show, uh, we had the Pirate Preview on Tuesday night. Um, Coach Connor's show. We have uh, so many great shows uh, coming up. And then uh, Bubba, uh, I know we have uh, one you've done uh, with John Casasa, the first quarterback. His team was the first to ever beat NC State. And that's coming up tomorrow, right? Your show tomorrow? Yes, uh, a Pirates Life for me. Um, that will air tomorrow at noon, and uh, you'll hear from John Cazaza, like Dave said, led the Pirates to a 31 to 15 win over NC State back in 1971 at Carter Finley Stadium. Yes, sir. And uh, it was great tra- taking a trip down memory lane, uh, reliving that 71 game with Cazaza, and I look forward to catching up with him this weekend. Uh, you know, maybe we'll get a few thoughts from him there on site at Daddy Ficklin Stadium because I know he'll be in attendance and uh, they're probably tailgating with my parents and I and I won't and we'll see maybe we can uh, get the thoughts of some other pirate letter winners this weekend I know I'm probably going to be able to catch up with Lamont Chapel who was a receiver for the Pirates in the mid to late 90s you know on those teams that uh, had so much success under Steve Logan um, and then he was a, a key receiver on that 99 team that was so good. Uh, no doubt about it. Hey, Bubba. Um, and, of course, we have our – from LNK Homes, I want to give a shout-out to Kevin Walker, KK, uh, LNK Custom Homes. Of course, the we want to thank him for all – he's been not only doing great work, but he loves uh, – we need to get him back on, uh, Bubba. Um, he does a great job with the, uh, the analysis of that and – just want to give him a shout out. By the way, um, for we'll have uh, 
him on very soon. By the way, Bubba, I want to give two quick things. Um, our friend, Dr. Gary Overton, want to give him a shout out as he ended his uh, 40. We need to get him on too, Bubba. Uh, 45 years uh, with ECU ended yesterday, his last day on the job. Unbelievable. We're going to miss. That's a huge void. Um, we'll talk later. Too. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> we love Coach O. We'll have him on uh, very soon. And one more thing, Bubba, I know we're running long tonight. want to give a shout-out to another two of our friends, Bubba, of the show, Brian Paschal, Coach Paschal, and and Coach Phil Willard, uh, the athletic director. Both of those guys uh, are friends of the show. And Williamston, we want to make sure that uh, we want to give them a shout-out. Riverside Martin wins tonight uh, against a good Northside team, 40-28. to They're 3-0 and in the season. They've got to play Chocowinity Southside high school next week. So just want to give them a shout out. It's my alma mater. So I'm really proud of the job they're doing, Bubba. You know, we were talking about the uh, COVID years and all that, but they've done a nice job. I think they have, uh, they built the program back up. They have 28 players right now. It's a one, eight school. It doesn't sound like a lot, but considering where they were and COVID uh, they've worked really hard to build those numbers up and uh, the strength and conditioning. And one more person, Jim Bob Bryant, my classmate, he was a great, uh, quarterback for uh, Harold Robinson for HROB back in the early 90s and went on to graduate at East Carolina, another pirate. And uh, Bubba, um, I want to pitch it to you. I know we have a great interview before we get out of here uh, with Adam Witten, right? Yeah, now we'll go ahead and go to that interview with the play-by-play voice of the App State Mountaineers, Adam Witten. Uh, he and I caught up on Wednesday afternoon We're talking about North Carolina traveling to Kid Brewer Stadium um, there at the Rock for the first time in program history. Um, Tar Heels are a one-point favorite, and uh, you know, that's uh, a game with so much anticipation. And, uh, you, know, you know, as Pirate fans, you think back to 99 when State came to Greenville for the first time, or in uh, 2003 when North Carolina came to Greenville for the first time. So um, can definitely, you know, relate to uh, all the excitement uh, with that App State fan base you know, with a historical game. But uh, at the same time, you know, even though that game will have probably the largest crowd in school history and uh, there's so much surrounding it, uh, you know, don't let, let folks tell you, oh, this is just the, the biggest game in that program's history because they've had so much success. Uh, just because it's the largest attended and it's against North Carolina does not mean uh, that that's the case. Like a lot of folks will lead you to believe and you know where I'm going with that. But then without any further ado, let's go to that conversation with the play-by-play voice of App State, Adam Witten. And right now on the inside slant on the sports objective, we're very excited to preview a huge matchup this weekend within the state of North Carolina. And to, to do so, very excited to be joined by the play-by-play voice of the App State Mountaineers, Adam Witten. Adam, welcome back in. Yeah, thank you, Bob. I appreciate it, man. Um, this is one of those one of those signs that college football is right around the corner. So whenever I get a chance to talk to you guys, this always means that uh, we're really, really close to kickoff. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no doubt. Um, enjoy catching up whenever we have the opportunity to talk football and you know, specifically App State football. But, um, you know, this matchup, this is one that's been anticipated for quite some time. You know, being an East Carolina guy myself, it's um, you know, I go, I go back about 20 years, you know, when North Carolina and NC State uh, made that trip to Greenville for the first time. So, you know, before we really dive into uh, some of the specifics of this App State team, you know, just talk about uh, what's at stake, you know, what, what's at hand rather this weekend. 
Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question. I've I've been asked that a few times in terms of, hey, what what does this game mean? I mean, we know what it means just in terms of the buildup and the hype and the anticipation. I mean, it's been billed as the the biggest event in in the town of Boone uh, because we're expecting record crowds, and I know we'll get into that here in just a little bit. But in, in terms of what's at stake from a from a results standpoint, this is about competition for the best program in the state, in my opinion. You know, whether East Carolina and App State and NC State and North Carolina and, and even Wake Forest now with what Dave Clawson is doing, you know, they they've all had their their moments and their their spurts where they've been they've won games like this against the other teams in the state. And you mentioned when East Carolina got a chance to host some of these schools, you know, in those in those days of, of Ruff and McNeil, like they were winning these games and it meant a lot, you know, App because of its track record since joining the FBS. They've won more games than any team in this state. They're the only team to win 13 games during a season at the FBS level in this state. That was in 2019, the last time they beat North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And so I think when you really distill it down, what this game really means to the App State fan base is trying to continue to bolster that resume of who's the best football team in the state of North Carolina. Undoubtedly, and um, it's certainly a, a valid argument to say the least. And um, with everything you rattled off there, with what the App State program has accomplished, and you, you referenced that 2019 matchup, uh, it's hard to believe that that's been three years now. I remember I was, you know, headed to Greenville and listening to the game, and I went back and watched it later on. Man, uh, what a matchup that was! And uh, you know, coming down to the, the very last play, and if this Saturday is anything like that, so uh, how much fun will that be? Yeah, that game is is one that we'll remember for a long time because of just how much drama there was late. And App has had a tendency of playing these games that just come down to the wire. They've started winning some of these games against FBS competition, but they can't ever do it comfortably. You know, whether you go back to the Tennessee game in 2016, Penn State in 2018, the Wake Forest game in 2017, and then the two wins over North Carolina and South Carolina in 2019, they all came down to the final seconds. And um, I'm hoping that this one will be similar to that. I wouldn't argue with an App State blowout win for sure when there's no drama at the end. But yeah, I think we want to see an exciting game. The fans want to be treated to something special because this is going to be a, a special moment for, for both programs. So yeah, I, I if we get a similar game to what we had in Chapel Hill in 2019 where you had big plays, uh, big moments on special teams and on defense and and guys just making tremendous individual plays throughout the game comes down to a last second field goal at the at the at the conclusion. Yeah, I, I would be OK with a, a similar style of game coming up this weekend. Another interesting nugget or sidebar to this matchup. I know a lot of App State fans or probably most App State and many North Carolina fans uh, understand and realize this, but, uh, you know, other people who may be tuned in may not, and that is that Mac Brown was the head coach at App State, and then he also uh, has a mountain home right there in the, in the area. So um, that's an interesting kind of sidebar to this matchup. Yeah, he, he, is, he has spent a lot of time – speaking about the things that he loves about not just 
what App State has done as a football program, but just about the high country of North Carolina. And you mentioned he he does have a vacation home in the mountains. He was the head coach for for one season uh, with the Mountaineers, but he still stayed close. And, and Sean Clark made reference to this when we had him on our radio show the other night, is that you know, he's, he's leaned on Mac Brown as, as a mentor in this industry. Mac Brown has been a very successful head coach at, at both North Carolina and Texas. And, and because of his ties to the state and in that particular part of the state, people like Sean Clark, and he's got a relationship with Jerry Moore. Um, they, they look at Mac Brown as someone to, to seek advice. And when Sean Clark had his first year as a head coach, right in the middle of the COVID pandemic in 2020, you know, Mac was somebody that that he could talk to for for advice um, and about handling a, a, a tough situation and being a first year head coach. And so, yeah, it's that's one of the more that's another interesting narrative around this game is is Mac Brown's familiarity with App State and the and Boone and the surrounding high country. Um, and so, it, it makes for a very interesting matchup in a in a lot of different ways. But. Um, certainly the, the Mac Brown ties to, to this program and this part of the state, um, we'll, we'll just add to that. Since coach Clark, uh, you know, took over for Eli Drinkwitz when he moved on to Missouri after that one stellar season, you know, um, coach Clark has done a tremendous job. So, um, you know, the bar is set so high there at app state and you have a season like last year where you don't win a championship, you know, uh, w- within that program, uh, you, you, uh, you know, I, it's not a failure by any means, but, you know, you, the bar has just been set so high mm-hmm. that, um, you know, some of the, the fans and so forth um, may view it as such. Yeah. You know, it's winning 10 games is a pretty big accomplishment at a lot of places. And it is at App State. That, that's nothing to scoff at. But when a 10 game, a 10 win season does not include a conference championship and it doesn't include a win in a bowl game. Yeah, that that's that's going to leave a, a little bit of a sour taste to close the year, uh, because App State was ten and two in the regular season, but finished the year ten and four, with with losses in the conference championship and in the bowl game. So yeah, Sean Clark would would absolutely be one to tell you, no, twenty 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 one was not as successful as we wanted it to be, and he's still chasing that first conference championship, but. That's what motivates him when, when he goes into the office and, and he's out on the practice field and he's studying film with everybody else. Like those are the things that are motivating him. He knows because he's played here and he's coached here and he's been a part of the success at, at, at different stages of this program. He knows what, what the standard is. He knows what the culture is. And so you, you've got the right person who understands what it, not only what it takes to win it, but, but how important it is to, to be a, a conference champion at this level and at App State. And so, you know, to me, Bubba, my expectations is I always like to say that if, if, if the program that you care about is just is playing relevant games late in the season, that, that's what that's I don't know that you should ask for much more because you're in it. You're, you're there. You're not always going to win a conference championship every year. You're not going to win a bowl game every year. It's just that stuff just doesn't happen year after year. Eventually it's not going to go your way, but as long as you're relevant and playing interesting games that, that are of significance throughout the season, I, I think that's for, from my perspective, that's like, that's a more reasonable expectation. Um, but, you know, they, they, we've, there's a pretty high standard at app and, and Sean Clark would be the first to tell you that, no, we, we want to win conference championships every year.
know there's some new blood on the offensive staff on third third offensive coordinator now. Uh, so, you know, tell us about that new OC that's coming over from Central Michigan, and you know, you know what we can expect to see because you know we've we've always heard and it's the App State offense, not necessarily that OC's approach to things. Yeah, it's it's actually a, a fifth different offensive coordinator um, in in the last five years, and so that that's that's tough because not only you know that that can sometimes be tougher than changing head coaches is you know you've got um you've got coaches and and quarterbacks you know you take like a zach thomas um for instance zach thomas was was coached by by three different head coaches and three different offensive coordinators with scott satterfield um and then you moved on to tony peterson with eli drinkwitz and then you moved on to um or no, no you moved on to eli drinkwitz and then you moved on to tony peterson with with sean clark then you go to frank ponce last year and now kevin barbe this season so um you know for chase bryce he's a second year starter at quarterback he's got a new coach and offensive coordinator the second time around so you're always having to reintroduce that dynamic year after year and and that can that's tough to do um to to build that and and do it differently every single season so um that being said I I love what Kevin Barbe has brought to this offense, at least through the preseason. He's got a very creative mind. Um, I, I think he's he's got a really good feel for the game. He works well with Chase. They've developed an incredible chemistry already. And I I cannot wait to see um what new wrinkles this offense may have with with him, you know, calling the plays on Saturday. So Kevin Barbe, while while it is another new offensive coordinator the excitement is sky high in terms of what he can do. Chase certainly had an excellent season uh, a year ago. And uh, if you would just quickly sum up the, the 2021 for Chase and then you know, talk about some of the skilled talent around him this year. I know last year he had a, a ton of veteran wide receivers uh, this year, uh, still that stable of running backs. And I think you still have a lot of talent at the receiver position. It's just not as proven. Yeah, I think that's that's saying it accurately. Just they're they're just they're untested. You know that they, they are unproven, um, but immensely talented at the wide receiver position. But you know, back to your question on Chase. You know, last year he he set the single season record for passing yards, and that's beating out somebody like Armani Edwards. Now, Armani Edwards was more of a total offense threat. No one I think will ever touch his total offense record, combining rushing and passing. But for, for somebody to break a record, a single season record that was held by Armani Edwards at Appalachian, that's, that's saying something. And, and Chase did that last year. Um, you know, his touchdown to interception ratio was, was great. Um, he's very accurate. He throws a, a really good deep ball, which I think that is something that we've been missing in this offense, the consistent, accurate deep ball to make this offense more explosive. And, and Chase is so good at, at utilizing every last second of, of the pocket and delivers the ball well under pressure. Um, he has such a command of the pocket and is so confident in his abilities, um, even when pressure is coming in on him. So um, those, are, those are his big strengths. You know, I think in this offense to be successful, you've got to be able to be kind of a, a, a dual threat in, in some ways. And Chase is not the fastest guy, but he's got to be able to show the ability to, to pull it on some of these read option looks. So that's maybe a new element that, that could be added to his game this year in, in spots. But um, yeah, the, the wide receivers are, are definitely unproven, as you mentioned. 
but I believe in terms of sheer talent and physical presence, um, they're, they're just as good, if not better. And so people just haven't heard their names on a frequent basis, but I think they will in very short order this season when you can, when you could surround that with, as you talked about a very deep and experienced, talented running back room and four of your five starters back on the offensive line, you've got a pretty good foundation on offense. This is a runner, um, you know, like you said, he's not going to turn any heads, but at the same time, he moves well enough within the pocket. And I, I remember seeing him, seeing him, excuse me, in games against Coastal Carolina and Marshall last year. You know, making some uh, big runs on you know third and long situations. You know, where you're facing a third and eight, and him, him tucking it and uh, picking up a first down. Yeah, he he can do that. He he really can, and you don't really expect it. But you know, the good thing about someone like Chase is. Sometimes what you don't want out of your your quarterback who can run is they're they're very they're sometimes too quick to go to that option. They'll go back, they'll go through maybe one or two reads, and then they'll take off and and not necessarily take the amount of time that they need to let something develop. And and Chase is never going to have that problem. Um, as you mentioned, he 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 moves around in the pocket really well to to buy himself just a little bit of extra time. Could be a, a sidestep to the left or the right, just a little bit to get off his original spot, but give himself that extra half a second that he needs to let somebody get open. And and that is, I think, a very underrated but much appreciated part of his game that makes him such an effective quarterback. Shifting over to the defensive side of the ball on the defense, obviously has been so great over the over the last several years, um, and. I know Coach Jones, um, you know, with everything and with I know you had guys that were missing the game, um, you know, several defensive backs out and so forth in that bowl game. But uh, I know they have a chance to really, really be special this year. Yeah. You know, Dale Jones is is one of the one of them is an institution at, at app. This is his 26th season as a member of this coaching staff. You know, now he's the defensive coordinator. And, and the thing I think that may get overlooked with that defense that I'm excited about is that the entire defensive staff is back um, at this level of college football. It, it's rare to go from one season to the next where your entire coaching staff is, is the same as it was the previous year. Now we've already talked about on offense, you got a new coordinator and you got a new wide receivers coach. Um, but on the defensive side of the ball, the entire defensive staff is back for, from last year. So the ability to build on that from last season, I, I think is, is, is important. Um, there are some big uh, shoes to fill on defense right in the middle with DeMarco Jackson, who was drafted by the Saints back in April. Um, Sean Jolly, who was a former All-American cornerback. You're replacing two starting safeties, uh, although the guys who are replacing them have starting experience from last year. But, um, you know, it's 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 a next man up mentality for this defense. And, and then you're replacing two starters at defensive end as well. So, uh, the the defense has a lot more experience to replace than the offense, but the defense is always built on depth and speed, and you know they've always been able to not to to keep that same level of intensity and productivity, even when guys get hurt or have to miss a game. So, uh, I I'm I'm very interested to see how the defense performs this year because we will see a lot of new faces have to make immediate impacts at one of those corner spots, at inside linebacker, at the defensive end positions. But in terms of guys to look out for, you know, Nick Hampton is is really coming into his own as a premier pass rusher in college football. You know, he had 11 and a half sacks a year ago, um, which which 
and and you know he's he's the active leader in the Sun Belt in sacks for his career, second in in tackles for loss amongst active Sun Belt players. You know, I I think he's a guy that will get looks at the next level as an elite pass rusher. So um, he's the kind of guy that can be a big time difference maker on the defensive side. App needed that the last time it played North Carolina in 2019 with Demetrius Taylor, who single-handedly took over that game at defensive end. They might need something similar from, from Nick Hampton on Saturday. Okay. Yeah, you talk about that matchup between the, the Mountaineer defense and then uh, the, the Tar Heels offense, and you do have a, a new starter at quarterback, obviously Sam Howe moving on to the NFL and the Washington Commanders. But uh, with, with Drake May, you know, he showed how he can hurt you with both his arms and his legs. Obviously not the same caliber of competition, but a, a very talented quarterback. And this is a really intriguing matchup. It is. And I, I think the the one thing that I learned more than anything from the game that they played against Florida A&M this past Saturday is that Drake May is legit. Um, you know, he, he is he is well uh, deserved for all the accolades that he received as, as a high school player, a uh, five-star recruit committed to Alabama, flipped to North Carolina. Um, he's legit. 6'4", 220 pounds, can make all the throws, can throw on the run, can throw out of the pocket. And then early in the game, he showed he's got, he's got wheels too. You know, he can, he can bust a big, uh, a big run to, to really keep the defense honest. So um, he's, he's absolutely going to be a problem um, and, and someone that they're going to have to figure out how they can make him uncomfortable. And, you know, assuming Josh Downs is completely healthy on Saturday, you know, it helps that he's got a, a game-breaking type of receiver out there um, on his side of the ball, too. And for full disclosure for our viewers and listeners, I mean, this is being recorded on on Wednesday, uh, obviously um, airing on Thursday evening. But, uh, you know, as we sit here on Wednesday, Adam, you know, just talk about, you know, some of the things that you view or that you've heard this coaching staff at App State and Sean Clark and company talk about is critical if the apps are going to pick up a second consecutive victory of the Tar Heels on uh, Saturday at noon. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that, that coach Clark and the staff are going to talk about is, is protecting the football. Um, somebody asked me in, in a previous interview this week, you know, what's, what's the one thing that Chase Bryce needs to do uh, to make sure that this offense does well. And I said, just protect the football, you know, don't, don't throw it to the other team. Keep your hands on it. Make good decisions. Um, their goal is to end every possession with a kick. And if that's a punt, that's okay. That's better than a turnover. Um, App got away with in, with some games and in, in turning the ball over more than they wanted to. It, it's kind of it, it speaks, I think, to the the talent on this team and what they're capable of. That they lost the turnover battle in some games and still ended up winning 10 games that last year, but they turned the ball over too many times a year ago and, and they've got to fix that. But that's, that's the easiest way to, to let a game get away from you is to give the offense a short field, give them extra opportunities, tax your defense because you just, you, you can't keep possession of the ball on offense. So um, for app to be successful, they, they've got to keep their defense fresh and the offense has got to be able to not only possess the football, um, but be able to, move, convert third downs, keep drives going, convert in the red zone. I mean, all the cliches that you talk about, but those are important. Those are those are the important stats they look at. How do we do on third down? How do we do in the turnover battle? How do we do in the red zone? Sometimes it's just as simple as that in terms of the stats that matter. Yeah, I mean, the cli- I've always said, you know, cliches are cliches for a reason. You know, a lot of folks, you know, say, hey, I know this is cliche, but I mean, and, you know, they're obviously, um, like I said, cliches for a reason. But uh, 
And so taking a look at the matchup on the other side of the ball, we talked about the App State offense. You know, based on what you saw, I mean, Florida A&M did have some success, even though they um, ended up losing 56-24, to especially in the first half. They really uh, moved the football. So I know, you know Coach Barbet and staff um, really probably saw some things um, that they could exploit. But at the same time, you wonder, um, given – you know, that matchup and knowing that they had the upper hand, how much Gene Chizik and staff may have held back um, going into this week. Yeah, I mean, you never know. And, and it's it's first game as well. I mean, um, it's, it's tough to be as sharp as you want to be, especially defensively, I think, in game one, because – you just don't get a chance to have that kind of full speed contact in, in, in practice anymore before the season. And so there's some adjustment that, that comes with that. Um, but I think the thing with North Carolina's defense is they are so big and talented up front. They've recruited really well in the trenches, particularly on defense. And also you, you bring in a UVA transfer and Noah Taylor along that defensive line. And so that if you've got a strong front like North Carolina does, it, it can it it just helps your entire defense just because of the ability to get pressure and disrupt things with only three or four guys. And so um, that's the biggest thing that we look at in terms of, you know, how can we move the ball? How can app be successful against North Carolina's defense? It starts with being able to contain that really talented front. Um, now behind there, they've got some, they've got some injury concerns, you know, their, their depth is waning, especially in the backfield. We don't know if Grimes is going to be healthy at one of those corner spots after getting hurt in the, in the Florida A&M game. So um, for North Carolina, it starts with a, with a really good front four um, and uh, app's going to have to app's offensive line, which is talented and experienced in its own right. Um, it's going to have to win a lot of those battles. Most people, including Vegas are expecting this to be a very close ball game. You know, it's, been right around there from what I recall, you know, right around two to three points either way um, pretty much since it opened, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, if this is, in fact, a four-quarter game that comes down to the wire on Saturday afternoon, you know, tell us about the special teams um, where that could really factor in, uh, you know, punter, kicker situation as well as the return games for both both uh, squads. Yeah, uh, return game is is kind of we'll wait and see at this point. There's a lot of different candidates that could factor in the return game for App. Um, you know, Jalen Virgil was the kick returner who, for the last couple of years, ret- returned three kicks for touchdowns in his career. Just made the the 53 man roster with the Broncos, and Thomas Hennigan, a four year starter at wide receiver, was was their staple as punt returner. Both those guys have graduated. And so there's some new guys, you know, at the punt returning position, you've, you've got somebody with some experience back there with Tyler page. He's a, he's a transfer from SMU who was really productive as a punt returner, particularly during the 2020 season when he was, I believe top 20 in the country in, in punt returning. Um, so, it, but it still remains to be seen how the rotation could work out um, for, for the return game at kicker. You do lose a guy who had a record setting season in, in Chandler Staten missed one kick the entire year. He graduates, you bring in a, a very highly recruited uh, kicker from West Virginia whose name is Michael Hughes. He's a redshirt freshman uh, or, or sophomore, rather, because he he handled kickoffs all last year. Now he takes on the the place kicking duties. Huge leg. I mean, could, can knock it in from 50 plus, 55 plus even if, if he needs to. 
Um, but he's the first to tell you that I can knock him in for 57 all I want, but if I miss from 40, that, you know, what, what does it matter? So, um, he, he's, he's very talented, shows great promise in the way he kicks in practice, but he's never been tested kicking field goals in a game. And, uh, will he get his opportunity on Saturday? I'm not sure. Um, at punter, Clayton Howell is a new punter this year, but not new to the program. He actually was a freshman All-American his very first year, then got beat out for the job after that. So he's been the backup punter and the holder for the team. Um, but now he gets his opportunity to be the punter this year. So they've got someone with some experience back there. A couple more things for you. And circling back to the atmosphere uh, that will be there at Kid Brewer Stadium on Saturday, you know, you, you've talked about the record crowd. I know the previous record was, you know, in the 37,000 range or so, um, or, or maybe, maybe you said it was upper 35s for, for that Wake Forest game um, mm -hmm. that, that the apps lost in heartbreaking fashion several years ago. But, uh, you know, if you would just talk about the atmosphere, um, you know, from the standpoint of the, the bleachers in the north end zone that have, that have been installed. Yeah, so the, the previous record was uh, a little over 35,000 for the, the Wake Forest game, uh, just beating out uh, by about 500 people the game that were App hosted Miami, a ranked Miami team in, in 2016. Uh, so what App has done is, you know, there were already some additional seats put in last year in the north end zone because of the, the new facility has some premium seating right outside their, um, their, big ban their banquet area up on the third and fourth floor. Below that, on field level, behind that north end zone, in previous games, they've had kind of an open an open garden area. They call it the rock garden. It's you know you can hang out, you can you can have drinks, you can have some some food, and just hang out. Standing room only area to just hang out and watch the game from that perspective. Um, but what they've done for this game is they've taken that area where they had the the garden, and they've brought in a little over two thousand seats through temporary bleachers and they've installed it right beneath the, the overhang where the premium seats are. So it kind of cascades down pretty well and fits in really nicely with the contours of that building. So you've added over 2000 additional seats to the capacity. Um, so you've probably got about 3000 seats in the North end zone added on to the already capacity of 30,000 seats. So between that and general admission, which will be located in the south end zone grass area, the hill, um, and some other little pockets of the stadium, we're thinking that there's going to be, I'm thinking between 38 and 39,000 is what we get to. Um, we I, I thought maybe could it get to 40? I just don't think there's a, there's just not enough space for 40,000, but uh, it's going to, without question, be a record crowd. But um, I'm guessing somewhere in, in the neighborhood of between 38 and 39,000. And lastly, you know, moving on after this game and what is a very challenging season opener, um, the apps go to College Station uh, to, to battle the Texas A&M Aggies who have such lofty expectations, of course, under Jimbo Fisher. So talk about what lies ahead in the non-conference. And then also uh, the SBC, the Sunbelt Conferences, just continues to steadily improve. Yeah, it's, it is a – challenging schedule to say the least and and you mentioned the start of it for non-conference you've got this game saturday against north carolina and then the trip to college station against what it, what will be a top 10 texas a&m team who's fresh off having the number one recruiting class in the country so 
Uh, very tough start to September. Then you got to jump right into conference play after that against Troy. Um, and the East Division gets better and better every year when you bring in a school like Marshall, another uh, highly regarded team in it, at the group of five level. And not only that, but in November, toward the end of the year, App plays most of its important games on the road. So they're going to play Marshall, Coastal Carolina, and their biggest rival, Georgia Southern, all on the road, all in the month of November. So it starts off difficult. It ends uh, just as difficult with all those road games and conference play against the other contenders in the East Division. This is as challenging of a schedule as App has, has ever had. And so, um, you know, they won 10 games last year. And I've, I've said over and over, App could be a better team than it was last year. The record may not indicate it just because the schedule is that much more challenging. No doubt. Uh, that's something I noticed as well, you know, scanning the schedule when it came out, uh, you know, months back. But, um, going to be interesting to see how it all plays out and um you know as far as the Sunbelt conference is concerned I, I love what they did um you know you always hear things come full circle you know in all areas of life and uh, I'm hoping that that'll be the case with conferences and uh the way they're the way they're aligned and so forth but uh yeah um with with the Sunbelt conference and you know two million dollars to to many leagues and doesn't seem like much you know to to a P5 league, obviously, but then, you know, outside of the American, which is right around 7 million, um, that is uh, a lot of money and it's a huge step up from where, where things have been previously. And it's going to be interesting to see with uh, the league steadily improving uh, where it goes in the future. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And uh, I will say that through all of this, the Sun Belt is very confident and it's uh, comfortable in its own skin. I love the way the league is is shaped because I think it maximizes the things that we love about college football. You know, you and I are talking right now because there's a really intriguing matchup and a really fun matchup for the fan bases with app in North Carolina playing. You could say the same about ECU playing NC state this weekend. Those games matter. They're fun. They may, they're, they're what college football is all about. It'd be, it's a lot more interesting for y'all to talk about East Carolina football and for me to talk about App State football playing these games versus NC State playing North Texas or or Bowling Green or someone like that. It just doesn't move the meter, but the Sun Belt has capitalized on some of that stuff. So without being able to play schools like Marshall and Coastal Carolina and Georgia Southern and JMU, those games move the meter and, and really make college football a lot more fun for the fans. Yeah, very exciting news. You bring up NC State, that home and home with the Wolfpack and the Mountaineers. So, you know, just to clarify, you know, what what years is that? And I know uh, um, the first matchup is going to be in Boone. Yeah, so that report that that came out the other day, uh, there's nothing official released by the schools yet, but uh, the report that came out is is App and NC State playing in 25 and uh, in Boone and then returning the game in Raleigh in, in 26. Appreciate that information, and uh, as always, appreciate the visit. Tell folks how they can listen to your broadcast if they're unable to watch on TV or while they're watching on TV if they want to pair the two up, and then also how they can follow you on social media. 
Yeah, I appreciate that. So um, they can find our network of radio affiliates on our website, appstatesports.com, our flagship station for anybody in the western part of the state. Uh, certainly within an hour or two of, of Boone can listen on our flagship 97.3 FM. Um, if you're not within range of one of our radio affiliates, you can download the free Varsity Network app. That's through Learfield. Uh, it's free. You can listen to App State and any other school um, in with with Learfield um, on that app. Uh, Crystal Clear Audio. You can listen to a stream on AppStateSports.com. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam B. Witten. Will certainly be an unbelievable sight um, at Kid Brewer on Saturday afternoon. And, you know, uh, you know, here's hoping the Mountaineers take care of business and uh, are victorious. But as always, we appreciate the time, Adam. We'll have you back throughout the 2022 season. You got it, man. Anytime. That is the play-by-play voice of the App State Mountaineers, Adam Witten. As always, appreciate his time. Also appreciate Ryan Wallen of Al's Daily Temple 24-7 Sports Site joining us to preview that matchup in the beginning of the Stan Drayton era as they will travel to Durham on Friday night to take on the Duke Blue Devils in the beginning of the Mike Elko era. And then also uh, to kick off the show, appreciate uh, Palmer Toms of Dogs HQ spinning a half hour with us talking Georgia football and specifically that game this weekend against number 11, Oregon is taking place in Atlanta. But uh, as always, we appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, We'll be with you next week on the inside slant again, next Thursday night, uh, right around 8 PM. And uh, in addition to this program, so much other content headed your way. Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, we have a pirate's life for me coming your way on Friday at noon. I caught up with John Kazaza, the first East Carolina quarterback to uh, lead the Pirates to a win over NC State back in 1971 when the Pirates were 31 to 15 victors over the Wolfpack at Carter Finley Stadium. And then um, also on Saturday, we'll have the Pulse of Pirate Nation. I'll be catching up with former East Carolina wide receiver Lamont Chapel for a brief conversation. Uh, about Saturday's game, as well as his memories of that first trip NC State made to Greenville back in 1999 when the Pirates were victorious uh, with David Garrard having a big day on the ground and East Carolina winning 23-6 to over Mike O'Kane and the Wolfpack. And then on Sunday, we'll have the Pirate football playback as we'll take a look at East Carolina's season opener against number 13, NC State. Um, but for the entire sports objective team, Dave Richmond, Kyle Barber, Matt Semenza, I'm Bubba Rosenbaum. You've been watching and listening to the Inside Slant on the Sports Objective. Have a great weekend, everyone, and as always, go Pirates.